Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so we have another question we're going to answer. Um, this one is uh, someone that's new, recently diagnosed perimenopause and progesterone. Again, this one uh, uh, is very appropriate. Uh, this one, this progesterone conversation comes up all the time. Uh, why don't you go ahead? Uh, we'll just kind of dive right into it. Why don't you go ahead sure. and read the question? Sure, I'll read. I'll read the question. This is from Eileen, but we do change everybody's uh, names for you know just for privacy. So, um, so again, we're, we're calling her Eileen. Hello, I'm 45, perimenopausal, diagnosed by blood work. I have my uterus and I am taking 200 milligrams of bioidentical progesterone each night orally by capsule. I do not take anything else for hormone balance other than evening primrose oil and some adrenal support. Um, neither, neither of these is new to my regimen. Uh, what is, um, what is new is the administration of the progesterone orally. Previously, I was using a progesterone cream, 40 milligrams per night, all nights of my cycle, no break. Doc suggested that I needed to be more cyclical with my administration, and then I try oral progesterone instead. I am doing this. I go to sleep well, but toss and turn a bit more than I used to, and wait, then wake up around 435 and cannot sleep any longer. My body temperature seems to be all over the place. As some nights around that same time I wake up, hot. Not really a hot flash per se, but just hot. But the very next night, I can have on the same bed clothes, sheets, house temperature, etc., and will not get hot. She has me doing fourteen days 14 to 28 taking the oral progesterone. My trouble is, the 14 days I have to wait to take it, I have all the trouble sleeping and all the other symptoms while I'm waiting for that 14th day to come so I can take my oral progesterone. My question can I take it full-time during my cycle and never take a break, or does that go against all medical wisdom and or would be bad for my body not to have a break? Yeah, this is a really good question. That's why, obviously, that's why we're answering it, uh, because um, this one does come up a lot. Now, we do like the idea of cycling hormones. We use cycle hormones all the time, rhythmic dosing, different types of things. Uh, um, I mean... You know, her symptom picture, she's not having a hot flash, she's just hot, you know, night sweats in this perimenopausal phase is a very, a very common symptom. Uh, And, uh, you know, she's still having a cycle. So that's where estrogen, she's not really a candidate for estrogen to take care of the hot flashes. Uh, So what would you say about that? And really with perimenopause, it is different than menopause when it comes to hot flashes and night sweats. Where in menopause, okay, those ovaries have ceased to work. They've retired, rightly so. They deserve it. That estrogen has dropped. So that's going to cause an issue with kind of their internal body core temperature. And they have the hot flashes and the night sweats. Where in perimenopause, women are still making estrogen. It might dampen a touch, but really as in the case with Eileen, which is completely, you know, understandable is in perimenopause, your progesterone plummets to the floor like there's nothing. So that's why it's nice to replace that. And that does help with the night sweats. And, and like, and like Eileen says, it's in perimenopause are not really night sweats. Um, some people are 
you know, more sweaty than other people, but it is that hot. Like you wake up hot and it can be one day I'm hot and the next day I'm not. And a lot of times that does seem to be cyclical, cyclical where you have that, that heat or that flush while you're sleeping about anywhere from seven to 10 days before your next period, which is when that progesterone is supposed to come up. So, so that's why it makes sense in her question. Her doc is having her take her progesterone from day 14 to day 29, which is really when we're cycling females, that's when we make progesterone is the last half of the cycle. We don't necessarily make progesterone or much progesterone the first half of the cycle. So in, I guess you say physiology respects or in theory, um, that's exactly how you should do it. But what we found, you know, over time is exactly what Eileen is running into is, well, I feel good for those two weeks I'm taking it, but what do I do about the two weeks I'm not taking it when I don't feel good? Yeah, right. So we usually have women take it all month long, uh, maybe not in every case, or we might actually, depending on how the progesterone affects their bleeding, you know, their actual period, uh, because progesterone is a beautiful hormone in the fact that it can make a woman start bleeding or it can make it stop bleeding depending on the situation. So for example, in perimenopause, uh, when a woman is in her late forties, a mid to late forties, she can start having a lot of heavy bleeding. That is a perfect sign or a classic sign that that progesterone level is actually decreasing. And now, but she still has lots of estrogen. Uh, so she's kind of, as we talked about on other podcasts, she's kind of pseudo estrogen dominant, uh, but there's not enough progesterone to control the bleeding. You give them some progesterone and now the bleeding is a little bit more under control. But now if you give them too much progesterone, like in this case, 200 milligrams for some women could be too much. And now that could create the same problem. It could create more bleeding. Uh, so you really don't know how a woman's going to respond to a dose like 200 milligrams until they actually take it. Uh, and then depending on how their cycle changes over the next one to three cycles that will determine whether or not you can stay at that dose or go down. We, you and I don't usually ever go any higher than 200 milligrams. That's, that's about as high as we go. Yeah. That's a pretty much a, you know, on the top end there. And like Dr. Mackey was saying, um, progesterone is great for keeping that lining of the uterus, the architecture, nice and solid, um, more compact, not so, um, sloppy so that it can help with heavy bleeding. But on the flip side, progesterone, if you give it too soon, so let's say we gave Eileen that 200 milligrams of oral progesterone on day six of her cycle. Because usually if I'm doing progesterone all month, I do have them take anywhere between three to five days off during their periods. Just not having those hormones allows the lining to slough off and having just a few days off doesn't, you don't really have any you know major symptoms in that three to five day period. So let's say we're going to have her start taking her progesterone on day six of her cycle. And some people, if you do too much progesterone, oral oral um, progesterone, is that can cause a bleed to come sooner than that 28 days. So that's where you get women saying, oh, my period's coming on day 16. My period's coming on day 16 or day 19 or day 14. And that's when you know, oh, that early, you know, starting that progesterone a little bit too early, or maybe it's the dosage is causing their cycles to get too short. So that's... Um, Another reason in theory that a lot of, a lot of docs say, you know, don't start your progesterone until day 14. So at least it doesn't shorten that cycle and we can still get like a 26 to 28 day cycle. Yeah, right. Now, some cases, again, just to complicate it even more, uh, some women, like we talked about, uh, depending on the dosing and how they tolerate the progesterone, we might do a lower dose in the first, let's say, uh, you know, day one to day 11, which kind of contradicts what you just said a little bit about not taking it during their period. Like you said, a lower dose, a uh, lower dose. A, lo mean, yeah. a lower mm -hmm. dose. So you still get, you know, you still have the full sloughing off of the uterus, um, but enough progesterone there to give them, you know, like in her case, to give them some sleeping relief because that's, you know, 
That's a, one of those classic insomnia, classic perimenopausal symptoms. So you can't take the progesterone. Most women do much better when they're able to take the, uh, some dosing of the progesterone all month long. Like in her case, can she take it half the, can she take it the entire month or can she not? She would love to be able to take it the entire month, um, which is why we do it that way. Or like I said, we might do, let's say, for example, 50 milligrams and 100 milligrams or 75 and 150 or for some women, 100 and 200, depending on depending on the woman and depending on the severity of their symptoms. Again, there's lots of possibilities there. Uh, it makes it really confusing uh, for a woman to know like how much is the right amount for her. But we usually determine that based on how their cycle changes once they've implemented. They feel good. They feel good. You know, almost, you know, no news is good news. They're just doing just fine. Um, but if they come back and report, you know, my cycle has changed in this way. Now it helps us determine what needs to happen with that progesterone dose. And then just to, um, you know, kind of put that out there a little bit for Eileen. And this is very common because she represents, you know, pretty much all of our perimenopausal. And I'll tell you, I'm 47, even though I've treated women for years with perimenopause and menopause and hormone imbalance, there's nothing like going through it yourself to really understand how, you know, how that treatment works. But really the sleep is probably the big issue. And that may be why her doc suggested to do the oral progesterone because oral progesterone seems to have more an effect with the cortisol and the GABA at night and helps you stay asleep better. Cause that's usually the typical thing is perimenopause is you can fall asleep, but it's really difficult to stay asleep. So that oral progesterone I, we find helps women stay asleep in that perimenopausal phase as opposed to the cream doesn't have quite as much an effect on that ability to stay asleep. So that may be why the doc suggested that. Yeah, sure. And we do some other things to, you know, assist the sleep. It's not that the proge- progesterone does a pretty good job uh, on the sleep side. Um, but like you said, they still might be waking up a few times a night, especially if that, you know, we hear women say all the time, I'm hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold covers are coming on and off uh, because they go through this, you know, kind of cyclical pattern over the course of the night. Now, like you said, it might not be every night. It might be, you know, that seven to 10 day window that, typical seven to 10 day PMS window. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, some, there's some very good, uh, adrenal adaptogen herbs. We use glycine, we use pharmagaba, we use a bunch of different things that, uh, you know, granted there's not one, uh, one, um, supplement that works the best when it comes to sleep. It just kind of has to be tailored again to the woman, uh, and a little trial and error, you know, to try this or try that or try a couple of different things. And then they're actually, you know, no one is ever really at this stage of their life is ever going to get great sleep. I think that's pretty rare. Uh, you know, we're just hoping that to get them to at least good sleep. Uh, you know, I ask a question, on, at least on my intake form, I have them I have them grade their sleep, A through an A to F. Um, A, they sleep great. F, they sleep terribly. Uh, and most of the time, most women in perimenopause and into menopause, they're, they would grade their sleep, which is their own subjective opinion, is like a, you know, a D to an F most of the time. Some are maybe in the C minus range. Very few of them are in the A and B category. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen an A, maybe a couple of Bs here and there. But if they're in that D to an F range, we want to get them to a B range. So that means at least what I would uh, consider is they're able to fall asleep easy. A reasonable bedtime for most adults is going to be about 10 o'clock. They sleep for three or four hours, uh, preferably no restroom. And then they're able to, you know, just reposition, go back to bed and then sleep again for another three or four hours. Uh, and at least that way they can wake up to face their day with a, at least somewhat of a feeling of rejuvenation that they've actually had, had some decent sleep that night. Oh yeah. There's nothing better than getting a good night's sleep. It's almost like, you know, you're an adult when you want to make sure you get a good night's sleep where 
when you're a teenager, it doesn't really matter. You know, you stay up till three in the morning, but um, yeah, but definitely for perimenopausal women, uh, sleep is is important. Yeah, well, and there are, you know, women these days are stretched thin. They're taking care of the kids. They're working full time. They're, you know, they got so many things to do uh, and, and probably trying to exercise on top of it. We've talked about that before too. Uh, and that sleep is, I mean, it's obvious how important sleeping is, but you know, the frustration that I hear from women when they're not able to sleep, something that is so innate into human beings. Uh, and when you're not able to do it, I mean, you know, you know, the night seems like it lasts like an eternity when you're not able to sleep. The hours just, you know, go by so slow. And I know people, some people cover up their clock so they don't see the clock. Then other people see the clock because they're hoping they have more, more time so they can get more sleep before their alarm goes off or they have to get up for the day. Uh, and for whatever reason, everybody gets their best sleep in that last, you know, hour to two hour window, you know, four or five o'clock right before they have to get up and they finally actually sleep. And when they do wake up, they're exhausted because they're, you know, that, you know, that cortisol circadian rhythm uh, sort of thing, uh, sort of thing is a little bit, uh, messed up. We'll talk about that on another podcast, but progesterone certainly need relief all month long. Uh, you know, this is a, you know, this is a big problem. And then to maybe let's go ahead and throw another wrench into it and complicate it is, you know, Eileen has her uterus, so it kind of makes it easy to understand how you're going to cycle progesterone because, Hey, you get your period, you're back to day one, but what about women that don't have a uterus? Yeah, right. Well, like we said earlier, taking it all month long, then, um, then it really doesn't matter much, you know, in, in some respects, but then at the same time with women that don't have a uterus, you automatic, when it, whenever a female doesn't have a uterus and they had a hysterectomy, it's usually because of heavy bleeding or irregular bleeding. And really the perimenopausal time, which is late thirties to very, very early fifties. I mean, perimenopause can last a long time is that's when you see a lot of the hysterectomies happen because of that drop in progesterone, which causes the irregular bleeding, you know, not, um, um, heavy bleeding, chronic bleeding, painful periods. So that's where you see that. So anytime a woman has said, oh yeah, I had a hysterectomy, I'll think, oh, they probably have low progesterone. Oh, or as we'll get into other podcasts is low thyroid, which low thyroid can impact those, that heavier bleeding for women that get a hysterectomy. But some women that have hysterectomies, we might cycle it a little bit too, but I find that just like with Eileen is women feel better when they pretty much take that progesterone all month long. Yeah. Now, um, not to confuse things again, but we, <laughs> we, uh, but another, this is where there's not, uh, the, the theme is of all bioidentical hormones, there's not one way to do something. There's a lot of different ways and it really does depend on the patient situation. It's not the doctor's opinion necessarily, which that comes up a lot. Doctors have their own style, their own way to, own way to do things, but it really depends on how one, the patient situation and how they respond to kind of help the practitioner determine what needs to be done. So then it is truly tailored to what the patient needs. Uh, it's tailored to what the patient wants, which is symptom relief to be able to sleep at night and maybe not be so hot. Um, but sometimes those, the response of the patient that, you know, it, it helps the doctor make those decisions. Uh, so rhythmic dosing, which we've talked about before too, rhythmic dosing, we, now we can do that one both ways. We can do that one with, ca with capsules or with cream. It's designed to do it more with cream. We prefer capsules with the static dosing because it has that brain effect. It has the sleep effect. It kind of lowers anxiety. It has a, it reduces some of that irritability that women have. The cream doesn't necessarily do that as much, which, um, you know, we would use, uh, you know, so rhythmic dosing would be more for menopausal women as opposed to perimenopausal women. Now I'm curious. Now I have my, you know, I've, 
I'm curious. Uh, I have my answer in my brain, but it says uh, perimenopause diagnosed by blood work. How do you think that her doctor diagnosed her by blood work? If they did blood work, they probably did an FSH and an LH. And a lot of times those 